It's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Austin Pryor from Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but they're erasing me and I have no memory of any of this. Mm, Very sad (laughs) to watch your mind crumble before your eyes. Which is what the movie is. So, hey, it's it's correct. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, it's my mind is... I, I think we're actively destroying our brains by doing movies by minutes projects. <laughs> like ever shrinking attention spans. Maybe, or maybe it's the opposite. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the camera paradox. Uh, if you go around with a camera, you're like constantly looking for a photographic subject. So you're not living in the moment. Yeah. You see why you like this video camera so much. You do. It's not quite reality. Reality is so unreal, but it is a nice change. True, thumbs up. Reality says we gotta move. No, but it's totally like a filtered reality, man. It's like you can pretend everything's not quite the way it is. And yet, having a camera makes you stop and take notice of things. So you're absolutely living in the moment. Right. You're just narrowing down what that moment is, which is fine. Yeah. Well, and and our perceptions are all about narrowing the world down. And while we're talking about Charlie Kaufman in adaptation, his version of Susan Orlean has this great speech about obsession and hobbies and a personal kind of project whittles the world down into a more manageable size. Mm. There are too many ideas and things and people, too many directions to go. I was starting to believe the reason it matters to care passionately about something is that it whittles the world down to a more manageable size. And if you focus your attention on one minute of one movie, the chaos of the world kind of disappears for a while. Such sweet, sad insights. But you're also going to have special little moments that you can capture. Yeah. So true. Which is another time loop from your outro that people will have heard yesterday. What movie is that from? Where so somebody's talking about the perfect moments that you miss. That's from the map of tiny perfect things. Okay. Another time loop movie yeah. that I don't know Which about. Which came out about a year ago. Okay. Now, I think. Cool. Cool. So did this thing of like, on the one hand, endlessly chewing through everything can be very kind of circular and you're just kind of eating your own tail and, and just going like, I noticed this and I noticed this and that's, mm-hmm. you know, but then it might lead you somewhere. You might kind of find something if you keep digging. And you yeah, might, you hope. You hope. Yeah. And then when you don't, you just try to shove everything into it and, and hope it makes <laughs> sense. The loneliness of the long distance podcaster. Well, it's like my notes for minute eight of this movie are basically just a description of what's on screen. Yes. Because they're in a train. Yeah. There's nothing extra. (laughs) And so it's just, what do we find in their interactions? And that's not in my notes because I've been talking about that for a couple minutes now. Yeah. Or a couple episodes now. Yes. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Well. You you think of things the same way. A minute is not a minute long anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like (laughs) another minute. I knew you meant another episode. Like, obviously, oh, yeah, minutes. There was there was a thing called a minute before all of this. Yeah, podcasting. regular people think of those as like 60 seconds long. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's however long I edit it to be. <laughs> oh, wow. If I'm lucky, it's about 20 minutes because that means I didn't spend that long having to edit. <laughs> <laughs> this week has not been that. Oh, no. Yeah. That's, I, I, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I do not envy you editing these. <laughs> My problem with long episodes of people's shows is when I don't feel like they were saying much half the time. Okay. And they just wasted a bunch of time. 
when I edit, I take out the wastes of time. Good. Or I yes, try to. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't need people thinking yeah. about what they were intending to say. Yeah. And looking things up. We can think on our own time. The listener needs to just get what we have. Right on. <sighs> so, Eternal Sunshine, you saw when? I saw this in the movie picture show house when it came out. Movie picture show house. Was it the 40s? <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw it in the cinema, which you call a theater, ah. which is very quaint. Yeah. and sounds like the 40s to us anyway. It does. Yeah. I used to see like three or four movies in the theater a week in recent years before, you know, lockdown. Yeah. And now I'm like, I don't want to go back to a theater. Yeah. Yeah. Why isn't this streaming yet? Come on. Yeah. I find it just funny that the language of it, because I think the word cinema is kind of like a fancy highfalutin word in American English, whereas in Irish English, mm. that's just what you call that place. You it's just, just, it's just thing, a cinema. Yeah. You know, I went to the cinema and in my parents' time, they would have said, go into the pictures. You know, that was the real like, right. way it was said then. But yeah, just in the cinema. And then I noticed that there's this amazing habit and it's extremely common where people talk about because movie trailers say in theaters now, uh. people say, <laughs> I think I saw this movie in theaters, but they're just talking about one theater. They're not, <laughs> but they use the plural oh, yeah, because yeah. of the power of suggestion of in theaters now. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the first time I saw this movie was in theaters. Well, you, did you see it in several theaters at once or? Well, that depends on the movie, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Phantom Menace, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> going back to two days ago. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Five times. Three of them were in one day. Wow. I did like once with one friend, once with another friend, and three times in one day with a friend of mine. who He had a pass. I had to pay for my ticket each time. <laughs> <laughs> Just I found a kindred spirit who was like a massive mega fan. We just kept saying, they have pod racing on Malister. Very fast, very dangerous. 15 million times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Minute eight. <laughs> You're the boss. You take over. At the end of minute seven, this is important. Clementine has just kind of sat back down away from Joel. Yes. She was on her knees facing him. She's was searching through her purse, used nasal spray. She's ignoring him. But now as a minute again, she sighs gets back onto her knees to start talking to him again. Yeah. So this sigh, what do you take it to mean? What do you think it's expressing? I feel like she's, she knows herself. Go on. As much as her brain is troubled because she has had part of it erased at this point. Yes. We don't know that, but she has. Yeah. Is it, she knows she's going to continue the conversation. Yeah. So delaying it by doing other stuff is just, she's wasting her own time. Yeah. And so she's just like, fine. And she gets back up and says, my name is Clementine, by the way. Yeah. She knows this is going to happen. It just has to get to it. That's exactly what I think as well. Yeah. And it's almost like she knows, well, this is my destiny now, so I might as well face it and just keep going. It plays into this thing where these two people are drawn together. Obviously, we saw this impulsive moment when Joel sees the Montauk train on the other platform. He legs it across the bridge. And he's drawn to that particular beach and he's drawn to that particular beach house and he keeps seeing her and she's obviously doing the same thing. Yeah. So this is another part of that where to connect it with themes of uh, being John Malkovich, they feel like they're being puppeteered yeah. and they kind of have moments of variation in how aware of the strings they are. And her sigh is a little moment of, ah, oh, there's something making me do this. I'm just going to do it. Okay, fine. I don't have a choice. I'm a puppet. Pull the string. The universe just sticks its hand up my butt. And if I don't dance, people get hurt. It's almost like if you told the actors to do a scene where you meet each other 
and they didn't like each other. Yeah. And so they know they have to keep doing the dialogue, but Oh yeah, yeah, as actors. Sorry. It's yeah, just yeah. Annoying. Yeah. And so it's like she's like, Yeah, fine. I gotta introduce my character. Yeah. And I feel like he has a little bit of that too, because he did open his book, yeah. but he's not drawing yet no. or writing. He's just waiting. And so he says, I'm Joel. And she offers her hands for him to shake it. Hi, Joel. Hey. Then she says, uh, no jokes about my name. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that. You're trying to be nice. Mm -hmm. He says, I don't know any jokes about your name. Which is uh, obviously in the first viewing, the fact that he doesn't know the song, Oh, My Darling Clementine, and he doesn't know the yeah. cartoon Deputy Dog is just a weird detail. But of course, we know that it's really kind of a little window into the cruelty of this process of deleting people. It's so sloppy that it takes away other things and you'd never know yourself after it. It's like any time I walk out of a movie to go to the toilet or to, and, and just come back in quick as I can. And I try to avoid doing that, obviously. Me too. But if I have to, if there's anything else for the rest of the film that I don't understand, I'm like, yeah, it must have been in that three minutes that I missed. Because <laughs> I, I remember I missed bits of Prometheus and just I had to go out and bring somebody else into the cinema and stuff like that. It was messy. But it just when that bit towards the end that everybody kind of complains about when suddenly... Like Charlize Theron and, and uh, Idris Elba's characters uh, start working together in a way that wasn't coming from anywhere. And it was really weird. I was like, oh, yeah, I missed that scene. So it, in a way, it kind of enhanced yeah. the, the film because it covered that flaw. It yeah, made it better. It's like, well, <laughs> they wouldn't just that just wouldn't be coming out of nowhere. Why would these two be working together all of a sudden? So it is the same kind of thing. If like if I knew that part of my memory was missing, like a chunk. And he goes to the beach. He, he says two years, you know, that he's it's been two years since my last entry. Yeah, that he hasn't done a journal. I, I would just for the rest of my life think, oh, yeah, that's something else gone from those two years. Or that's something else that was collateral damage that came from like childhood memories of Deputy Dog. And you would just constantly be because it's a it's an it's an unknown unknown. You just you don't know what's in there. Right. And I would always be haunted by that if I were him. Well, yeah, especially if he journaled often yeah. before. Yeah, he's clearly in the habit of it. Yeah, if it were daily and suddenly two years are missing and he doesn't have a journal entry explaining, I'm not going to do this anymore, mm. or he doesn't remember putting it away. Or tearing pages out. Yeah. 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 That's not something you want. I mean, I, I complain just the fact that he bought new pajamas for the night he knows his memory's getting erased. But Yeah, so can we talk about the pajamas? Because you've, mentioned, this, is you've so mentioned this a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Like, there is a reason for the pajamas. Yeah. So- it's like he, like a lot of men of his age at his time in history, doesn't own a pair of pajamas. You think he bought them because he knew people were going to be there? Exactly. That's why it, that no, <laughs> I, I don't even think I like, that's what it is. That's funny. He would never, he, he, would, yeah. he only has pajamas because he realized there's people going to be in my room yeah, right near my body. And <laughs> I don't know where they need to put electrodes. I, I, I'm going to, so he goes out and buys a fresh pair of pajamas, but he doesn't think it through. So he's like. He's he's never worn pajamas before, and he'll only needs them because of this thing coming up. But he hasn't thought, wait a minute, I'm going to wake up and not remember the process itself. I think not remembering the process itself is a big problem with the process. <laughs> it seems that it would ca yes. it causes a lot more trouble than it needs to. Speaking of time travel, <laughs> we weren't. But did you ever see? I don't know if this show made it over the UK. Seven days. Seven days. They had a time machine. I think it lasted like two seasons. No, it was in the that. on UPN back in the nineties. Okay, no. Basically, they had a time machine that can go seven days in the past. Okay, but they needed like government approval to use it. Right, right. And all this stuff, and I'm like, but if you go back in time and fix the problem, the time machine has never actually been used. 
which means you don't need approval for it. You can do whatever you want because once you use it, it hasn't been used. Yeah. But if you, oh yeah, yeah. So they don't, the, and so like, they could have established in the pilot with a single sentence, but wait a minute, the, the time machine every once in a while just disappears. Yes. And they realize it went seven days past. We must fix something. Oh, right. And it would have covered it, but they never say that. They never thought of that. And it's like this, it's like, how do they charge money for this? Yeah. But sorry. How, oh, how do, how do the, in, in sorry, in eternal sunshine, in how eternal do they sunshine. charge money? How do they charge money for this process? Oh yeah. Cause you have to pay up front, but you'll immediately think you're the victim of fraud because yeah. you know, the, so someone stole his money yeah, and then he loses two years of his journal. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not weird at all. Yeah. And I, I forget. They should have a way of telling you, you remove something painful. Yes. So you at least know. Because everybody gets a note. You have been erased by Clementine. Yeah. He should get a note like that. Yeah. He should get a note himself. It is ridiculous. I kind of think. He should get a note about his own erasure. Did Like a note saying you have erased someone exactly, from your Yeah. Memory. Yeah. Does Clementine know that she erased somebody? No. Okay. In the movie, she finds out from him. They both find out, of course. Yeah, because yeah. they're both like, is this some kind of sick joke? Why did you, why would and you then record the, this? Yeah, 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 of course. Wow. That is really messed up. Yeah, it is. It is. So a it's like, how does this business system yeah. do anything? It has to be funded by really rich people who like erasing their memories all the time. And then it makes me think of the show Dollhouse. Now that it turned out to be exploited by rich people and it destroyed the world. This is going to destroy the world. It's. This movie definitely employs the same trick as being John Malkovich, where it's like, look, forget about it. That's not the important thing. Right. You know, there's a portal. Everybody who finds out about the portal just goes through the motions of saying a couple of things. There's no such thing as a portal into somebody else's mind. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go. So it's like the movie is very much like that's the premise. We're getting on with it. Mm -hmm. We're not getting bogged down in the business model or the science. The one bit of science that's kind of explored in Eternal Sunshine is this idea that there's an emotional core to every memory. Yeah. And it's a very smart and I think very kind of accurate, like well, well informed kind of look at how memories are formed. And I love that it's messy where, you know, they're trying to chase him around. It's like, I'm, I'm finding him all right each time and I'm erasing the memories. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know, you know, how awful and destructive he's being. That's so perfect because like, if this was another kind of film, there'd be people smacking on keyboards going, he's evading us. He's somehow going into his own subconscious. He's, he's, he's bringing her into other memories, <laughs> you know, and there'd be a big display of like a video of his right. memories in real time and stuff like that. This is much more how that would work. So apart from where it's important to the plot that he's doing this thing of hiding, they're not worried about, you know, it's it, it, whatever serves the plot and whatever serves the comedy, whatever serves the drama, that's the information you need. If it doesn't, yeah. it gets thrown out. And it's the same with being John Malkovich. And it's like, we're movies by minute podcasters and we love theorizing about all this and thinking, hang on a second, how does the business model work? But of course, that couldn't be further from... Um, no, that's not the point. Yeah, like Charlie Kaufman is disinterested in those things and he's like saying forget about those things whereas if i was writing this i'd have to be all about that and if we think about actual exploitation of this technology it turns into another negative view this week of these three guys and these three movies or what men could do not necessarily joel <laughs> yeah if you can erase bad memories and bad things that's not fair like you can erase timelines that don't have any consequences for you yeah right you do whatever you want and then just erase the fact that you did it. Walk away from your consequences. There's no guilt. Yeah, because like Phil looping and creating all these branching universes, if you erase 
something, you only erase the consequences for yourself. Mm -hmm. the, the, the person you erased still exists and they're left with the consequences unless they, in retaliation, go out and erase you. You do kind of fuck with the consequences for yourself because like the journal. Yeah. What does he decide about two years missing? Does he think I was going through such a deep depression two years ago that I don't even remember it? Yeah. And I should get therapy. And this is what makes me think of like thinking exactly the same thing when I watch it. And I'm, I always think like my kind of headcanon explanation for that is that like, because you're in such a fog that the technically the process itself is brain damage yeah. where you wake in this fog. You don't question You it. question less. <laughs> yeah, you do. You'd like, he doesn't notice. He doesn't think long. He doesn't, he doesn't think for very long about why the hell he's wearing pajamas. Right. And he doesn't think why is there yellow paint in the dent on the car? He notices the, oh yeah, is it, I don't remember tearing out that page. Wow, it appears I haven't made an entry in two years. Like, there must be something about the process where you get this hangover from it that you're just like, oh, I'll kind of put my life back together now, whatever, whatever, yeah. you know, and, and that you kind of let things slide. And it might even be just a kind of a natural defense mechanism, psychological phenomenon where the psyche feels under attack and just kind of says, okay, we're not, we're not going to go there. Let's stay safe. You know, I don't know that that's then your other like intervening memories that might otherwise have been connected to his relationship with Clementine just get kind of adjusted over time. Yeah, I think you'll kind of. Yeah, exactly. We're still the very next day. So there hasn't been time for that. Yeah. So he'll reassimilate all his memories and he'll put together yeah. the timeline of his life again. But it'll be a very strange process with a lot of creative interpolation and stuff. Cause I mean, that's how we tell ourselves story. That's how we form a lot of memory anyway. It's always, you know, it's so unreliable. And I, I love it when stories like this acknowledge the messiness and kind of softness of memory. And that's why, like, like I enjoy, you know, Christopher Nolan uh, as much as the next man. And, and I enjoy Inception. I, I dig Inception, <laughs> but like, that's not how dreams work. No. That's not in any way like dreams. It's fun, and I right. I go with the premise, and you're telling me this is how dreams work. Maybe that's how Christopher Nolan dreams. I'm fine with it. I'll go with it, and I'll enjoy this thrill ride. But it's funny, because the other film that I think of when I think of a film that engages with the sloppiness and softness of memory is Memento. Is, is uh, Yeah. Interrupting from editing, because what Austin is about to say is technically incorrect. Following was Christopher Nolan's directorial debut, but most people haven't seen it. Plus, we're talking about memory. So who cares? Christopher Nolan's directorial debut. Which came out while they were developing this movie. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Because his whole thing is, he says he can't form new memories, but he also does form new memories because he set it up in the film that like there are other parts of memory yeah. and you can create through repetition and through habits and through constant references to Sammy Jankis played by Stephen Tobolowsky yep. from Groundhog from Day. Day, Everything's Connected, exactly. that like that you can build habits and you can build memory by brute force, even if you have this disorder. That speaks to brain plasticity, which is very kind of realistic, but a lot of sci-fi people kind of hate it because like th that's the rules. You set the rules, you can't make new memories. But if you pay attention to it, the kind of, you know, malleability of it all is, yeah, is that's the point. seeded in the movie. You know, mm -hmm. it's part of it. Yeah. That one of the problems they had, I was just reading in the screenplay book for this yesterday, right. was the actual just fact that memories aren't detailed picture of exactly what happened in the moment. Yes. Every time you remember it, it's altered by the new remembering. And every time you remember mm -hmm. it again, it's altered by that one. And so all this context just keeps changing for every memory. Yes. They 
can get around that because for both of them, it's very recent. Yes. And they're stuck in a relationship that is trying to repeat itself. Yeah. And because of the recency, it means that a lot of these memories have never been recalled or have only been recalled once or twice right. close to the original. So you're not dealing with too many copying errors and too much accumulated context. Because like, if you erase something that happened years ago, that would be a problem. You would have to erase all of the times you told that yeah, story like, that don't happened. Don't erase your most times. recent relationship, but erase the one you had 20 years ago. That would be very Then strange. all of yeah. those other relationships have a new context. Yes. Yeah. And you might wonder, why did I break up with that next one? And it's because you don't remember how close they were to the one before it. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> you were repeating a don't pattern. don't know yeah. why you'd made choices, yeah. why you rip out pages from a journal. Yeah. Why you have never heard of Huckleberry Hound when this weird lady can sing a song. Yeah. But then the psychological research and the, and the kind of neuroscience research that's going on is telling us more and more that we rationalize after the fact. We decide on an emotional basis mm. and then rationalize. So we already don't know why we make the decisions we make. Right. We have a story that we tell ourselves after the fact because we've built an image of what kind of person we are and it needs to be integrated into what kind of person we are. And this is kind of the mechanism by which people can do awful things and still think of themselves as basically good people. And yeah. that's a pity, but I understand what led me to that decision. And it was kind of him or me. So that's why I killed the guy. And here we go. And. I used to have a quote hanging on my desk. This was like 20 years ago that it said, like, I forget the phrasing was like how embarrassed we would be if people knew all the motivations for our actions. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, if they knew every motivation, they'd understand exactly why we did what we did. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have an amazing kind of empathy tool if you knew every. Yeah. Because we would all get it. Yeah. If somebody was able to see a snapshot of me at some weak moment where I did something that I'm not proud of, I'd be embarrassed by that but then i've always kind of imagined when i was a kid i used to have this weird oh this is sharing a lot i used to have this weird fantasy about how heaven would work and it had this time travel aspect of course it did the idea was that like heaven doesn't have an end because it's eternal but it does have a beginning point so that everybody who ever dies begins in heaven at the same time. Because mm. it didn't make sense to me that everybody got a different length of eternity. <laughs> you know, when I was a child and trying to understand what heaven was and trying to just process the whole thing, I was like, okay, so it must start that like when I go to heaven, everybody who's ever died will be there at the same moment at this, and we're all beginning heaven at the same time. And that the first thing that happens is we all kind of look at this giant now, look at is in inverted commas because we're all spirit beings and we've transcended right. physical bodies, but we all see, hear, imbibe, whatever, absorb fathom. a full, yeah, <laughs> fathom, a full timeline of everything that's ever happened in the universe. That's the first thing you do in heaven. Mm. And that includes every little decision that every person has ever made. And I used to think about like my whole existence being kind of justified like that. And it like, if only they could see every little step right. and everything that jigsaw together all of these decisions that I've made. And then I wouldn't have to be because we would all then have ultimate empathy with one another because mm -hmm. everybody had experienced the entire universe, which means everybody had experienced every single thing that anybody else had ever experienced. Right. So this was the kind of great melting pot where individuality still exists, but that we're all now each other as well. And that's the first phase of heaven. And then the rest is just like endless ecstasy. Yeah. The problem we have in regular everyday reality is most people don't know us well enough for us ever to explain our motivation. No. So we have to deal with what do they think our motivations are? Yes. 
yeah, we have to deal with other people's perceptions of us. And the way people like me often deal with that, because I have like an overactive empathy gland and I'm always seeing things from the other person's perspective. I have a mechanism where if somebody kind of believes something about me, I will deliver it for them, you know, because I'm such a fucking people pleaser <laughs> that if somebody sees me a certain way, I'll start acting that way, right. you know, and I've caught myself doing things, including things that they want to give out to me for doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very straight. We're getting to a level of confessionals here now, but this is, uh, yeah, we're, we're reaching into, uh, into the depths a bit we more. You don't have to volunteer specifics, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I don't think, I don't, yeah. I, well, the specifics would get into territories of, oh, who, who's going to be listening to this and what are they going to eat? <laughs> but yeah, it is, uh, it is just being alive is very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the show. <laughs> As a kid, I wanted heaven to flatten all of that complexity and equalize everything which is as a kid's explanation is kind of interesting mm. i like it mm. thinking of that now i'd be like yeah but then what do you do after that like what's next it goes back to that artist limitation thing so is life yeah because you you're free of all limitations and so what you do like i've always really responded to that i got such a kick when the first time i heard heaven the song by talking heads you know heaven is a place where nothing ever happens hmm. and that is exactly what i after that first thing happens where everybody experiences the whole universe from there nothing happens because nothing needs to happen because right. we're just spirits plus you're you're one with god yeah you understand and you can't get bored because to get bored you would need desire you're free from desire you don't have these petty concerns. You also don't live in a body and you don't live in a brain. So to apply anything from our life and our experience onto heaven is ridiculous. Because if you're a soul, what human characteristics other than love would you bring with you? Yeah, That's how I would look at it. As you can imagine, I'm no longer a faithful person. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> So this is a weird little meet cute moment of these of these two. Yeah, that so she says Huckleberry Hound. <gasps> she looks down, moves her bag, and when she looks back up, he shakes his head. He's like, I don't know what that means. And he grins. Yeah. Like he's playing some sort of part, but I don't think he knows what it is. No. And she says, Huckleberry Hound, what are you nuts? It's been suggested, which is a great line. Yeah, it's good. And then she starts singing and pretend playing piano on the seat. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, oh, my darling, Clementine. And she slows down the last part. You were lost and gone forever. Dreadful, sorry, Clementine. And he has no idea. And she even does the kind of, not the jazz hands, but the clap yeah. and put clap one hand and behind and one hand in the front. Uh -huh. Ta -da. I was looking up the name of that move and I could not find one. Mm. Yeah. And of course, the full move includes the, the stamp, the thump, thump, you know, uh, yep. which makes one one stomp and one clap. And then uh -huh. it's very nice, very nice move. He laughs at that move. Yeah. And then she's like, no. And then we see how his brain recontextualizes because he's like, I'm sorry. It's a pretty name, though. It really is nice. It, yes. It means merciful, right? Clemency. He pulled up the now existing associations with the word Clementine yeah. to fill the void left by not knowing that song. It just reminds me, like, have you ever encountered somebody who just has gone through life not knowing something that you just can't process? You can't believe they wouldn't know it. Or have you been the person to... Probably both, but I can't think of any yeah. recent examples. Because I found out a friend of mine years ago had never heard of the association between the song Au Lang Syne and New Year's Eve. Mm. He knew the song huh. and he knew what New Year's Eve was, obviously, but he had never... <laughs> he, he had no association in his mind between Al Lang Syne and New Year's Eve, which is just stunning. Yeah, so uh, Clementine leans in and says, although it hardly fits. 
I'm a vindictive little bitch, truth be told. Great line. Yeah. <laughs> Which as someone who thinks this is a stranger, she's just introduced herself to yeah. is bizarre as fuck to say. <laughs> it is. But it's also kind of playful. Yeah. And then he tries to play along and is lamely kind of, oh, I wouldn't think that about you. Yeah. In which I love her look because she seems genuinely concerned by him saying that. Like, yeah, why wouldn't you think that about me? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> being nice and being like not a vindictive little bitch is not high on her list of priorities. <laughs> right. Yeah. And maybe she doesn't even know why. Yeah. You know, she just had the last two years of her life for race too. Uh-huh. Why would you think that about me? And then I don't know. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I love Jim Carrey's performance in this scene where he's just like, he's feeling the glare of her interrogation mm-hmm. and he's just clasping on to his notebook and pen yep. and they're just kind of, he pulls them closer into this kind of defensive posture and she's quite unflinching and kind of merciless and maybe vindictive. And she just shines that interrogation lamp on him and he's just so squirmy here. I love it. But it's like this scene... I'd love to put myself back to 2004 in the cinema watching this mm. and thinking about uh, like how I, I think I knew it was something to do with memory and erasure. Because I think if you didn't have any clue Ooh. that there was something odd in this film or there was something sci-fi or supernatural or whatever, you would think like this is a kind of a terrible version of a meet cute where these two yep. are just interacting and the, the awkwardness. Why would they keep talking? They're having a terrible time, mm-hmm. but it is so good when you know the context for why they're kind of drawn together and, and that they don't know. But it still does kind of give me this. I think if this movie came out as a new movie today and this scene was structured this way and performed this way, I think I would roll my eyes very hard because huh. it, it has a kind of a kind of knowing, quirky you know, I can see it, especially when I watched the minute in isolation before rewatching the preceding oh, minutes. Yeah. Cause like, I know this movie inside out. I didn't really need to, you know, I, I obviously refresh my memory a bit beforehand, but it just seeing it in isolation without seeing the build up towards it as, as well. Just like it came off as very, I don't know if twee is the right word. It's kind of when people talk about the films like garden state, yep. a film, which I haven't seen, you know, that kind of insufferable twee kind of tone of that. I could imagine people saying the same kinds of things about this. It's like, God, it's so, the dialogue is so clever and quirky. Jesus, it's so kind of self-conscious, you know? Well, I just see the John Bryan soundtrack. It comes into play here as well, because again, hearing this minute in isolation, the quirkiness and jankiness of his mm-hmm. when you hear it in the context of the whole movie and you're kind of the palette of sounds that John Bryan is using are more established. It doesn't stand out as being as it, it works better. It integrates better yeah. when you watch it in the context of the movie. But watching it in a minute on its own, it does like it feels so, again, self-consciously quirky. And it just yeah. adds to this possible criticism that I just really hadn't had before. Well, this is Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman working together. It's going to be quirky, self-consciously and, and, quirky. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And every time I'm away from these films, except for being John Malkovich, because it's just so funny. Like, I can't get through a minute of that movie without laugh. And I know because I've watched every minute. Yeah. But with this, I do kind of think when I'm away from it, was this? Will I? And every time I come back to it, I always like it. You know, I always still love it. You know what I mean? Because all the major stuff that needs to be there is there, is in the heart of the movie. And, you know, the plot yeah. works. And the, and, and the, and the, and the quirkiness the emotional fits the plot. Very much. Yeah. And he's writing to his strengths. 
especially really low budget, like crappy horror films will often try for self-aware yeah. and they don't write it well. And it no. just comes across as dumb. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the worst bad and you can do that stuff really well but you need to have time to rewrite and rewrite and rehearse yeah. and make sure your actors get it and it has to thematically connect with the plot yeah it's like you need to master your instrument before you can go off improving or deconstructing right. or doing you know yes anti-music on your instrument you know what i mean he's like yeah get yeah mandy get- sucks minute was not my first podcast yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> good stuff yeah, I just kind of just got a couple of other points that relate to the overall thing. Oh, yeah, this kind of thing about drawing somebody on the train, it kind of plays into this thing of like building an image of yourself as a good guy and a nice guy. And therefore, like, if I do something creepy, it's romantic. Yep, They'll dig it. And it's like our movies constantly reinforce that. And here, Joel was sketching Clementine. And the fact that they already knew each other and the fact that they're kind of dancing around getting back together kind of helps you buy into it and helps it not be too creepy because they've already kind of acknowledged each other and stuff like that. But it it sucks, you know, and I've and I've been Mm -hmm. that guy not drawing. I don't draw, but like I've like tried to create encounters with women in public transport and stuff like that. And it's just like, no, you're just being weird and you're just making that woman feel uncomfortable. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, thankfully, I've you know been with my wife for a very long time so anything i talk about is from when i was single which is a very long time ago so i get to distance myself from the sins of my past cool <laughs> and if people want to hear you where can they do that how about <laughs> malkovichminutes.net malkovich is m-a-l-k-o-v-i-c-h minute is minute.net is.net see you there kiddo thank you for listening eternal sunshine of the spotless minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia X Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. Follow this show on Twitter at Spotless underscore Minute, on Instagram at Spotless Minute, and on Facebook at, and I hate that this had to happen, <laughs> E-S-O-T-S Minute. This title is so long that I couldn't make a Facebook page called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Ugh. It kept calling it a duplicate of the real one. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so... The page is called Spotless Minute, and the address for it is ESOTS Minute, because it's all I could do. But if you just look up Spotless Minute, you'll find it. Right. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Memories on the line. Ah, oh, please. No, 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 really. Memory's not perfect. It's not even that good. Ask the police. Eyewitness testimony is unreliable. That's the cops don't catch a killer by sitting around remembering stuff. Right. They I, collect uh, facts. That's not what I'm they make notes and they draw conclusions. Facts, not memories. That's how you investigate. I know. It's what I used to do. Look, memory can change the shape of a room. It can change the color of a car. And memories can be distorted. They're just an interpretation. They're not a record. And they're irrelevant if you have the facts. Yeah, no. Um, I'm not going to talk about our love story because I can't. So, instead, I'm going to talk about math. I am not a mathematician, but I do know this. There are infinite numbers between 0 and 1. There's 0.1, 1, 0.12, and 0.112, and an infinite collection of others. Of course, there is a bigger infinite set of numbers between 0 and 2, or 
between zero and a million. Some infinities are simply bigger than other infinities. A writer that we used to like taught us that. You know, I want more numbers that I'm likely to get. And God, do I want more days for Augustus Waters than what he got? But Gus, my love, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for our little infinity. Most people yearn for something exceptional, something so inspiring that they'd want to risk everything for that passion, but few would act on it. It was very powerful and it's intoxicating to be around someone so alive. You gave me it forever. Within the numbered days. And for that I am... I'm eternally grateful. There is a party.